Morning Church. Dumelang liamachetswe momochai sianemogela erutet fellowship. Welcome bei uns kak and welcome to church. If we haven't met, my name is Jono and I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders and staff members at Rooted Fellowship. Um, and so I also have the privilege of sharing the word this morning. I'm looking forward to it and I pray that you are too. We are currently in a series called The Seven Churches of Revelation. The Seven Churches of Revelation. We've been through five churches in those seven and in a moment I'm going to read the sixth letter to the sixth church. And um, as we get into the text today, or just before we get into the text, I'm going to pray for us. And then, uh, as is custom at Root Fellowship, I pray that you would pray for me as well as we get into the text today. So let us pray. Holy, true, and eternal and everlasting God, we thank you that you saw us this morning. You see us right now, Lord God. You are all-knowing. You are ever-present, Lord God. You are all-powerful. And that is the God that in which we come to worship today. We praise you as that God, Lord God. We thank you that you know every single person in this place here today. We praise you for that. We praise you for the fact that you see our hearts, you know where we are, and you love us, Lord God. It is all about you. As we gather here today, Lord God, we say, let everything that has breath praise you. You are indeed the Alpha and Omega. But Lord, at the same time, we come to you confessing that so often we make things about ourselves. Even though we know it is all about you, Jesus, so often we make it about us and not about you. And yet, Lord, you are so gracious to us. You are gracious, you are holy, you are merciful and forgiving. In fact, Lord, you are so forgiving and loving that you would send us Jesus, the living word, to come and make a way for us, your created people, to have a relationship with you through what he did on the cross at Calvary. And we are forgiven because of this, and we thank you for this. Holy Spirit, we pray now that you would come, open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears to what you would have us know today. Come, Holy Spirit, move in this place. I pray that you would bring comfort and conviction. Lord God, I pray that you would use me now to deliver your word in a way that pleases you, that is faithful to you, Lord God, that glorifies the name of Jesus in this place, and that many, many are drawn to you. Speak to us now, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I invite you to open up your electronic devices or your Bibles. Alternatively, it's going to be up on the screen, our text for this morning. It's from Revelation 3, verses 7 to 13. We're going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible this morning, and uh, let us hear the Word of God together. This is a letter to the church in Philadelphia, also known as the true church or the faithful church, and this is, this is the Word of the Lord, so we're going to read from that now. Verse 7, let's read together. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. I know your works. 
Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Verse 9, note this. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you, because you have kept my command to endure. I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if you've been coming for the past six or seven weeks, you would remember that we have established in that time that the book of Revelation is a prophetic account of symbolic future events laid out in a letter written to the members of seven different churches across Asia Minor in approximately 70 to 95 A.D., All of these churches faced specific challenges, they faced unique issues, but at the same time, each comfort and challenge that we have heard laid down to each of these seven churches can be applied to the modern-day global church, and indeed to us sitting here locally at Rooted Fellowship today. These words are relevant to Christians of every generation. How awesome and how powerful is the Word of God, church, amen? Amen. We've also seen that this letter is an encouragement to each local church, and indeed the broader church, to be faithful to God, to remain hopeful, to overcome all temptations and pressures outside and inside the church. The words addressed to these churches are a call to be faithful and obedient to Jesus to the very end. Essentially, the message of Revelations can be summed up as this. Christ wins. He has won. And oh yes, church, he's coming back. And so we as Christians need to hold on. We need to hold on and persevere. The message of Revelations is that Jesus is the answer. Clayton told us this last week, and we've seen this each and every single week as we've examined each of these seven churches. The answer to all of the trials and tribulations that we face can be found in the identity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer. The Lord our God Almighty reigns. Amen. And so today, we visit the church in Philadelphia, our second last stop on this postal route or this journey across the seven churches of Revelation. A couple of things about the church in Philadelphia. It was considered to be a loyal 
true and faithful church in a small city that was established to be the center, the center for Greek culture and religion. The town was renowned for its surrounding vineyards, and it often suffered earthquakes. And yet here's the word of God commending this church for being a faithful church, a true church, a loyal church in the city that is founded to be the center for Greek culture and religion. It is surrounded by vineyards. Sounds like Stellenbosch and Cape Town. We all know what a terrible place that is, right? (laughs) When he's going there this afternoon, I feel sorry for him. (laughs) Suffered constant earthquakes, tragedy surrounded this church. And yet here we have this minority, small, persecuted church with so many temptations being commended for being loyal and faithful. Another thing to note is that scholars have said that the city of Philadelphia was strategically established and built on a frontier, kind of like an elevated frontier area, as a kind of doorway, a gateway to the rest of the region, the central plateau of Asia Minor. And the church in Philadelphia shared many traits with the church in Smyrna, a church that Ona took us through four weeks ago. Because both of these churches remained faithful, even in the face of immense suffering and persecution, neither of these churches are rebuked for their let- in their letters, but they are commended in the face of adversity. And so with all of that background information, let's jump back into our text, but this time taking a deeper look. Verse 7. Once again, our letter, our text this morning, begins with an authoritative introduction, telling us who Jesus is. John writes this in verse 7. He says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, thus says the Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. Now, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah prophesied about God the Father's chosen Messiah in Isaiah 22, verse 22, when he wrote about 800 years prior to this letter. This is what Isaiah says 800 years before our text today. Isaiah 22, verse 22. I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder, on his shoulder. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. And so here in Revelations 3, verse 7, Jesus authoritatively introduces himself as this holy one the true chosen Savior who indeed has the key of David, who carried the key of the house of David on his shoulder when he carried that cross of Calvary and died the most excruciating death that we all should have died to pay for my sins, to pay for your sins. And in doing so, he forever, forever opened the doorway for believers to have relationship with God our Father. 
This is the gospel that we believe in, church. Amen? Jesus Christ alone has the authority to admit men and women into the kingdom of God. And church, we need to hear this. Jesus Christ alone has the authority to keep non-believing men and women out. You see, to the people of a doorway or a gateway city, this kind of introduction makes perfect sense. They understand that when the city gates of Philadelphia are open, people have free access to the kingdoms of Asia Minor. But when those city gates are closed, access to those kingdoms and all the benefits of being inside are denied. And so it makes perfect, perfect sense that Jesus would introduce himself this way to this church. Perhaps we need to think of it in a different way, though. Let me bring it home. On a Sunday, we get to enjoy the full benefit of being inside Rooted Fellowship. We have great coffee. Thank you, Black Coffee Society. We have great music today. The band is on fire. Amen. We have impeccable snacks. I think it was confidence. Yes, amen. Each week we have on air bringing the fire preaching. What a blessing that is. It takes a lot to put on what happens here on a Sunday. Side note, we're looking for ambassadors. We need you. Okay, back in. It takes a lot to put on what we do here on a Sunday. Rosters go out. Run sheets go out. Meryl sorts out the band roster. We've got children's discipleship, production. It's all happening. Okay? We put on all these things. It takes a whole week. We pretty much finalize Saturday night. Our last slides are sent to, to Carlo as he prepares what we do here. And that's amazing. But church, if at 6.50 a.m. on Sunday morning, Bralasejo Santo Tulo has not got the keys, I've got bad news. We're not coming in. It's not happening. The one who holds the keys controls the kingdom. Amen? Jesus holds the key of the house of David on his shoulder. On his shoulder. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. Let's move on. After identifying himself, Jesus then goes on to encourage the church in Philadelphia. Verse 8. He then goes on to encourage. He says, I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power. They were a small church facing big issues. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And so he commends them. How does he do that? I'm glad you asked. Here in this verse, we see that Jesus has placed before the church in Philadelphia an open door. Okay? Open door. And biblical scholars have said that the word John uses for door has two meanings. The first meaning is that the open door is the door of heaven. And so Jesus has placed before the church in Philadelphia an open door to heaven that no one, absolutely no one can close on these faithful believers. To which we would all say yes and amen. But the second meaning of the word door in this context describes the opportunity of service to Christ. The opportunity of service to Christ. 
Because the same word for door is used by Paul in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9 and 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12. Paul describes the door of opportunity afforded to him to preach the gospel in service to God. Now, I know that was a lot. Stay with me. This is an immense encouragement, church. It's an immense encouragement to Christians. Why? Because not only does Jesus make a way for us to enter into God's eternal kingdom and have a relationship with God our Father, but in the midst of our pain, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering on this earth, in the midst of our weaknesses, Jesus also gives us opportunities to share our accounts of what God has done in our lives in order that we may lead others into a relationship with Jesus Christ. These doorways and opportunities have been afforded to believers by Jesus Christ and no one, not even Satan himself, can close them. The church in Philadelphia has faithfully preached the gospel and testified to what God has done in their lives in the midst of their weaknesses, in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their suffering. And why? But why? Because church, if we think about it, weaknesses, pain, suffering, that's often the most fertile soil that we can sow a seed of faith into. Think about it. A couple of weeks ago, over the Sabbath Sunday, the elders went away for what we call the elders' retreat. Very spiritual time. We go up the mountain, pray for all of you. (laughs) It's actually just a good time to relax and reflect. And um, after a nice, long meal, as we were kind of lounging around, we started just sharing, where, where, where are we? Where are we in light of our I walk with God. Where are we at? And a very good friend, brother, started sharing about where he is in light of his relationship with God. And honestly, we all kind of expected, man, this brother is going to share about how difficult things are with his relationship with God. But he blew us all away. Because our brother has had two of the most difficult years I could ever have imagined. Two of the most difficult years I could ever have imagined. And yet he says to us that he never felt closer to God. We were all shocked. You see, because of pain and of suffering and of weaknesses, This brother had had the opportunity for him to share with others how much Christ had done for him. And in doing so, he was an encouragement to us. God is able to use our humility, church. He's able to use our pain. He's able to use our suffering and turn this into a strength for his glory more than anything else we have. If you don't believe me, look at the cross that Jesus died on. Jesus, meek and mild, in agony on a cross. And yet, what did God do? 
God turned this moment into the single greatest moment in all of creation. And so God promises to use our weaknesses, our pain, our suffering, the church in Philadelphia's weaknesses, pain, and suffering for his glory as well. How awesome and how gracious is our God, church. Amen? Verse 9, Jesus then goes on to further encourage. How good is God? He goes on to further encourage these faithful believers in Philadelphia, verse 9. He says, note this, Jesus says, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Now, you may remember that the synagogue of Satan also appeared in Christ's letter to the church in Smyrna, Revelations 2 verse 9. And some of y'all may remember that One preached on that church a few weeks back. What's important to note is that the Jews in Philadelphia and Smyrna officially worshipped in what was called the synagogue of the Lord, a name set out in the first five books of the Old Testament. But because hostile unbelieving Jews who had rejected Jesus as the Messiah, because they were making life so difficult for Christians in Smyrna and in Philadelphia, Christ instead refers to them collectively as the synagogue of Satan. And he does this because these Jews were always closing the door to these Christians in Philadelphia, because they believed that only they were the true children of God. But these Jews had rejected Jesus. And on top of that, they slandered and opposed all those in Philadelphia who did believe in Christ alone. And by doing this, the Jews had lost the right to be called God's children. And so because of this, Jesus labels them liars and hence refers to them as the synagogue of Satan because Satan is referred to the father of all lies. What Jesus is saying, church, to the God's children, to all of us, and to those in Philadelphia, is that those who reject, those who ridicule, those who oppose Christ and his followers, whether Jew, Gentile, agnostic, or atheist, if they reject Christ and his followers, all of those who reject Christ and his followers will one day be forced to acknowledge that the people whom the world so despises so much, Christ's followers, Christians, are in actual fact the true children of God. And so this should be an encouragement to us as Christian believers as we hear these words today. Let's be honest. We don't have to go very far outside of these gates to have Christ's gospel message rejected and ridiculed. Think about it, church. How does the world receive Christ's message on things? What's the latest series you're watching saying about faithfulness, self-sacrifice, and giving in marriage? How does the, meet world, how does the world uh, meet you when you say you believe in keeping sex for marriage? Or that you only believe in marrying a Christian? How do the parent support groups, the parent support groups uh, receive you when you say, my spouse is the most important person in my family? Thank you, brother. What would the response be if you called into talk radio or commented on a 
news pages, social media accounts on Twitter saying, I believe the Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 13 has the answer when he writes on love. How would that be received? How are you received when you shut down gossip in the workplace? How are you received when you call out racism, tribalism, or toxic masculinity around the family dinner table? How are you received, church? Am I advocating for Bible-based bashing and condemnation on a Christian's behalf? Absolutely not. I'm not advocating for Bible bashing. That's not what the minority church in Philadelphia did. And we also saw in our previous series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.13 that we are called to be salt and light to this world, to bring God's hope, joy, and love. But church, we should not expect that that message will always, or even most of the time, be met with acceptance. Way more often than not, Christ's message of hope and love will be met with opposition. Just as it was for the Christians in Philadelphia, so it is for us. But Jesus is saying, take heart. Take heart, church, for a time will come when all of those who have rejected Christ and his believers, a time will come when everyone will see who the children of God are, and there will be no further rejection or persecution of God's people. Now, this may be somewhat of an encouragement to us today, but think about those who minister in completely closed-off areas. Think about those who minister in areas overtly opposed to the gospel message. Think about those who risk their lives and reputations each and every single time they seek to minister to non-believers. Imagine what an encouragement this must be to missionaries and underground church planters in places where even just identifying as a Christian may result in being completely outcast, not being able to, to earn a living. In church, let's be serious, even certain death. And yet God sees his people. God sees his people. He knows their suffering. He knows their rejection. Why? Because Jesus went through it. But that Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the True One, the King with the keys of authority is coming back. And He will one day see to it that the world knows exactly who He is and who His people are. Jesus then goes on to say to the church in Philadelphia, verse 10, And indeed, he says this to us today. He says, because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the world to test those who live on the earth. Now, in theological circles, there's been plenty of debate going on for many, many years about how long this hour of testing will be, whether or not this hour is taking place now, whether it'll be taking place in the future. Guess what, church? I'm not going to answer that one this morning. But as a friend of mine says, let's not get lost in the source. Let's not get lost in the source, right? Let's not lose the essence of what Jesus is saying here. 
In this verse, verse 10, let's not miss the fact that Jesus assures faithful Christians that because we have kept God's command to endure by continuing to put our faith and trust in Jesus, no matter what we face, say that with me, no matter what we face, Jesus promises to protect our eternal souls. No matter what earthly death, suffering, weakness, pain a believer faces, present and future, no matter what, Jesus promises to protect our eternal souls. Rejection from another job, no matter what, Jesus promises to protect our eternal souls. Strife in marriage, no matter what, Jesus promises to protect our eternal souls. Illness, disease, cancer, persecution, rejection, temptations, Jesus promises to protect our eternal souls. Now, church, I don't know if you picked this up, but in all of the above verses, 7, 8, 9, 10, it's all been about who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he will do. It's all about him, as it should be. But then now in verse 11, Jesus gives the church in Philadelphia an encouraging instruction, something for them to do. He gives them an instruction in light of who he is, in light of what he has done, and in light of what he will do. Read with me in verse 11. I am coming soon. What a joy that is to hear as a believer, amen? I am coming soon. And then he says this. Hold on. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Jesus' words here, similar to what he said to the churches of Smyrna and Thyatira. He says, if you hold on to your faith in me, if you hold on to me, you will receive a crown as you enter into my kingdom and live with our Father as co-heirs with Christ. Church, if there's one thing, one thing that you remember from the text this morning, it's this, one thing. Hold on on to Jesus no matter what. Continue to believe in his saving grace no matter what your circumstances are. We sing a song in Children's Discipleship Worship Time uh, each week as y'all are discussing question of the day. Many parents will know it, I'm sure, because it's definitely, in my opinion, I think, the, uh, the most popular song in Children's Discipleship at the moment. There's many parents and teachers here. I need your help. Uh, this is how the song goes. Okay. Parents, teachers, please join me. Bambilela, 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 Kuchesu, Bambilela, Bambilela, Kuchesu, Bambilela. Bambilela kuchesu bambilela, bambilela kuchesu bambilela, bambilela. Oh, don't worry, I'm not going there. (laughs) 
Hold on, church. Hold on to Jesus. Ho fas. Ho fas on Jesus. Bambilela. Kujesu. Bambilela. Hold on. Hold on because it will be worth it. You will receive a crown in God's kingdom. And if we do hold on, this is what Jesus promises us. Verse 12, if we hold on, Jesus promises us this. He says, the one who conquers, essentially the one who has held on and endured, he says, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Now, in the Philadelphians' day, a city often honored a noble citizen by erecting a pillar in a temple with their name inscribed on it. But the Christians in Philadelphia were a rejected minority. And so you can imagine what a contrasted comfort this must have been. Because this is what Jesus says here. He says to them himself saying, if they continue to hold on, if they continue to believe, if we continue to believe that he will honor his faithful followers permanently, not by inscribing their names on some earthly perishable building, but instead by inscribing on the believers themselves. Why? Because instead of inscribing on the believers, sorry, he'll, he'll inscribe on the believers themselves. Why? Because God's followers will be the pillars in God's spiritual temple. God's followers will be the pillars in God's spiritual temple. And on them, he will inscribe the name of God and his new spiritual kingdom, the new Jerusalem. And we will be eternally honored with Christ. And in this kingdom, all believers will be honored citizens where everything will remain pure and secure forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful image this is, church. And you can imagine what an encouragement this is to a small and yet faithful church. It's my prayer that this may be an encouragement to me this morning. It's my prayer that this may be an encouragement to you. And that we may be encouraged as a body of believers too. And then finally, once again, Jesus signs off this letter the same way he has with the previous five. Verse 13, Jesus says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. May we be obedient to this message this morning, church. Church, if I'm honest, perhaps it's the stage of my life. I think I'm drawing towards middle-aged, 35. Maybe it's this time of year. Maybe it's as you get older. I don't know, whatever it is. But at some point, you start to realize that all your hopes and dreams don't seem to work out the way that you thought they would. And that actually life in this broken world 
is exactly that, broken. Right? It's broken. The, yeah, no. There's many jokes we can make about Revelation, but let's not go there. Recently, I found myself massively discouraged. I'm discouraged by the broken state of affairs. I'm discouraged by my own sin and ongoing struggles. I, I'm discouraged by what seems to be an unchangeable status quo in every area of life. I'm discouraged by rejections. I've been discouraged by pain and suffering that both I and those who are most dear to me experience. I've been discouraged by the world's apparent promotion of those who appear to be anything but, but unfaithful to God. And I've been discouraged by the world's apparent opposition and rejection to those who are most faithful. And like I say, maybe it's this time of year, maybe it's this time of my life, I don't know. But there's a sense of giving up. I suffer from that, I struggle with that a lot. We often say things like, man, the year's practically over, but it's not. It's the same old, same old, nothing ever changes, right? But church, if you're a believer here this morning, and I need to hear these words, and if you feel similar to that, then it is my prayer for me, it is my prayer for you this morning that you are encouraged and given hope. It is my prayer that in the same way that the church in Philadelphia remained loyal, faithful, and true in the midst of being a minority, being directly opposed, it is my prayer that we too at Rooted Fellowship would remain loyal, faithful, and true to the gospel message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we would take heart. That we would be hopeful. That we would have courage. And that this would all stem from the fact that Christ has made a way. Christ has the key. And he has opened the door to the Father and his kingdom. And for those who put their faith and trust in him, salvation from eternal death and damnation has been assured. And I pray, church, that from that place, we can live joyful and hopeful lives. Joyful and hopeful lives, knowing that God is just. God sees us in all of our weaknesses, in our pain and in our suffering. But get this, church, he's coming back to make all things new. Amen? What a comfort. At the same time, as we're comforted and encouraged, given hope, as we gather here today, it would also be wrong of me to fail to alert any non-Christians to the fact that this text and this message is also deeply, deeply concerning. The time to decide on whether Jesus is your personal living Lord and Savior is counting down. It's counting down. And church, when it is up, we heard it in the text this morning, when it is up, that doorway will slam shut. And no one will be able to open it. 
We have seen this morning that Jesus will only spare his chosen people from God's rejection and subsequent eternal suffering. Church, it is my prayer that this morning, if you are sitting here and you are not a Christian, that you would take this opportunity now to examine your heart. Examine where you are with Jesus and to prayerfully consider choosing to follow the Holy One, the true one, the one with the keys to the kingdom of David, the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and the one who forgives, who rescues and empowers his people to endure. Let's pray. Oh yes, loving, eternal, faithful, true God. We come before you now, Lord God, declaring that there is no one like you. Lord God, you are gracious beyond anything we can think of. Your mercy abounds, Lord God. We come before you now as a broken people, a rejected people, a suffering people, a discouraged people. We come with open hands and open hearts, Lord God, saying, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for the times which we've made things about ourselves. Forgive us for focusing on our present immediate circumstances. Lord God, forgive us for not taking heart and courage from the fact that you have made a way for eternity. We are thankful that you are so gracious and loving that you made a way, that you have, in all your wisdom and in all your authority, made a way for us to know you, Father God, through what you did on that cross at Calvary. And we give you honor and praise, Jesus, for what you did. Lord God, we thank you that in addition to having a relationship with you, in addition to, to knowing you and to having the full access to your kingdom, Lord God, that you provide us with opportunities and windows to share your hope and your gospel message with the world. And it is our prayer this morning, Lord God, that, that we would know that no one can shut down those opportunities. Lord God, that we would live lives this week and beyond that point people to you, point many to you, that we would bring your hope and your truth into all the situations in which we find ourselves. Even when it is unpopular, Lord God, we pray that we would take courage and heart from these words. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us, move in our hearts right now, Lord God, to draw close to you. To know you more, and Lord God, it is my prayer that those who do not know you in this place would come to know you now, that you would reveal something of yourself to them, Lord God, through this, your word, that many would turn to you and many lives would be restored, Lord God, that we would rejoice when you do come back, Lord God, because that time is coming. And I pray, Lord God, that it is from this place that we would live righteous, joyful lives that bring hope to you and your name. 
We ask this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.